0: It's time to hit the reset button, according to the Prime Minister. Whether it will save his government is still to be seen. Hello and welcome to the Unpublished Café. I'm Ed Hand. Parliament has been prorogued until late September. The Wee scandals dragged down the image and support of the Liberals and had seen Finance Minister Bill Morneau shown the door. After a tete-a-tete with Justin Trudeau, Morneau announced he was resigning to try for the top job with the OECD. That was seen with skepticism. Now, Christian Freeland has been shuffled into the finance portfolio with a cabinet shuffle expected before September 23rd, when the Liberals will hold a throne speech and confidence vote. If they lose that, we're heading to the polls. An ethics investigation remains in place into the Prime Minister's conduct into the Wee scandal. Duff Conacher is a founder with Democracy Watch, taking his PhD in law at the University of Ottawa, and he joins us now in... Duff, is it hypocritical to prorogue when the Liberals complain long and loud about the use of it with Stephen Harper?
1: It is, although it's sort of a mild version of a prorogation, because it's just for uh, a bit more than a month, and it's during a time when Parliament would be adjourned normally anyway during the summer, Mm -hmm. and it's not going to really help them overall as well, because the committees will come back to minority government, the opposition parties control the committees, and they'll relaunch all of uh, the studies and hearings of the We Charity scandal and Canada-China relationship and and other things that they had going on this summer that the Liberals didn't want to have happening, and the Liberals won't be able to stop it. And actually, more people will be paying attention in uh, late September, early October when they start up again, then would be paying attention now because this is a traditional holiday time for a lot of people and they don't pay as much attention to the news during that time. So I think the Liberals would have been better to let things go ahead right now uh, and get it all over with before people come back after Labor Day and really start paying attention to politics again.
0: Do you feel proroguing Parliament circumvents democracy?
1: Uh, It does, although Democracy Watch's recommendation, uh, based on the prorogation that uh, the Harper Government did, was that the rule should be that prorogations can only occur during the time that Parliament is normally adjourned, and that would be during the summer or uh, during the winter break, which is usually from mid-December until late January. And then you're not really Upsetting anything because you're not stopping any parliamentary process from from happening because Parliament is adjourned during those times. Usually, so um, that was our proposal. Uh, the, that's what the rule should be. Unfortunately, they haven't changed the rule in the in the government. Uh, the Liberals just promised not to do it in order to avoid accountability for anything, but they didn't actually set out a rule that would prevent them from doing it.
0: Is there a legitimate reason, a not political reason, for a leader using it?
1: Uh, Yes. And if it was um, uh, a situation like during the midterm of the first term of the Liberals, they prorogued then to reset with a New Throne speech. Um, And then in this situation as well, if these committee hearings weren't going on, we have a totally new reality with the coronavirus. It's changed uh, all the government's plans across the country and across the world. And uh, as a result, the speech from the throne is warranted to restart Parliament with government setting out its plan for dealing with this new reality.
0: Duff Conacher is joining us on the Unpublished Cafe, one of the founders of Democracy Watch, as we discuss proroguing Parliament. The Liberals have decided to prorogue Parliament until September 23rd when we get another throne speech. Now, there's an ethics investigation into the Prime Minister still. Now, why are you asking the Commissioner, the Ethics Commissioner, to recuse himself from that probe?
1: Yeah, well, first of all, just to clarify, the opposition parties have only asked for, and the Ethics Commissioner has only confirmed, that uh, he is investigating Finance Minister Morneau and Prime Minister Trudeau for attending the final approval meeting of Cabinet approving the funding, the sole source funding of tens of millions of dollars to We Charity. And we've asked the Ethics Commissioner to actually investigate the Prime Minister's office participation in the whole decision-making process and Minister Morneau's participation and and his uh, staff's participation in the whole decision-making process. And the Ethics Commissioner has not confirmed that he's looking at the whole process. The whole process needs to be looked at and uh, not just by the Ethics Commissioner, but also by the RCMP and the Auditor General and the Procurement Ombudsman, uh, because I think there's multiple violations of of rules uh, with the participation of the PMO and the Finance Minister's Office through the whole process, not just at the final meeting. So there's lots more evidence that's come out about that, and we'll be filing a follow-up letter with the Ethics Commissioner and the RCMP, ensuring that they're looking at that evidence. Uh, In terms of the Ethics Commissioner recusing himself, the Ethics commission was handpicked by the Trudeau Cabinet through a secretive, dishonest process. And uh, Demarche Swatch believes that that appointment then makes him biased because he's been handed a, a seven-year guaranteed income job of being paid more than $200,000 a year by the Trudeau Cabinet, and now he's supposed to be impartially investigating and ruling on actions of the Trudeau Cabinet. Uh, anyone, would, I think, would look at that situation and say, well, if someone hands you a job that's worth $1.4 million to you, that's going to make you biased in their favor. So well, that's then, why we believe he shouldn't be ruling on anything to do with liberals.
0: Now, it wouldn't be fair to say that he is absolutely biased. That There's the perception of possible bias, right?
1: Perception of bias, and yeah. that's all you need. Okay. That's the rule. The yeah. Justice must be... seen to be done and actually the actual quote is justice must be manifestly and undoubtedly seen to be done. That's the quote from Mm -hmm. that uh, old English case and it's not undoubtedly being seen to be done in this case when the person doing the ruling was handpicked by the people he's ruling over.
0: Isn't that the process though? Did the the Harper Conservatives not do the same thing?
1: The Harper Conservatives actually had uh, a headhunter who's not uh, someone in the government, do the selection of the shortlist. Whereas the Trudeau Liberals had cabinet staff uh, and others in the Privy Council Office who serve at the pleasure of the Trudeau cabinet do the selection process of the shortlist. And they didn't disclose to opposition parties that they actually had five qualified candidates for the ethics commissioner position. They sent just Mario Dion's uh, name to them and gave them seven days and said, we, "What are your thoughts?" But making it very clear, they're going to appoint Mario Dion no matter what the opposition party said. And they called that consultation. That's not consultation. That's dictation. So the Harper government actually had a more independent process than the Liberals, despite the fact that the Liberals claim to have made the process more independent for all appointments. They've actually made it more partisan and political than even Harper used.
0: Now, you also mentioned uh, an investigation by the Procurement Ombudsman. uh, What investigation, or what would they be looking at?
1: Uh, Well, they've actually just announced that they're looking at um, not just this contract, but several other contracts, that uh, have been handed by four government departments to We Charity, uh, all sole source, all source, even though all of them actually were above the limit that uh, is allowed for sole source contracts, which is uh, you're allowed to hand out a sole source contract only if it's less than $25,000. Now there are loopholes in that rule, and one of them is if it's the only organization that can do the work, and that's been the government's claim, but it's a it's a false claim. Several experts have testified and put forward, you know, half a dozen other organizations that actually have greater reach than We Charity. You know, We Charity doesn't even operate in French, and yet it's supposed to be delivering a national service program, and actually had to uh, was going to hire another company to uh, deliver the program in Quebec because they had no internal capacity to do that. Whereas organizations like the United Way and Boys and Girls Clubs and Others apathy is boring. Uh, to just give name three right off the top of my head, all have national reach, all do youth uh, service, and all operate bilingually. So it's just it's a, it's a it's a lie that we charity was the only organization that could do this. And as a result, uh, and I would bet with some of the other contracts handed by these four departments to we charity that they also did not meet the sole source criteria. There, there's. Uh, growing evidence that the key person at uh, ESDC, the department that handed out this contract to uh, and funding to We Charity, that uh, Rachel Wernick, the Assistant Deputy Minister there, has a relationship with We Charity that makes her biased in fa- favor of We Charity. There's emails that have come out this week where she's saying, congratulating Craig Kielberger, one of the co-founders of We Charity, saying, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's okay, you're late for our meeting because people are applauding you for minutes and minutes, so don't worry about it. Just stay there and enjoy the applause. And and emails back and forth from them, and she's been to their center in Toronto, and there's just evidence that not just were the ministers biased, but the Assistant Deputy Minister, Rachel Wernick, a key decision maker in this process, was also biased in favor of them. They all got tunnel vision and ended up violating all the rules to hand this this uh, sole source funding of tens of millions of dollars to one of their favorite
0: charities. So the bottom line to you is even though parliament's prorogued until September 23rd, the committee investigations will continue after that.
1: Yes. The documents are out. The MPs have access to them. So I'm sure we'll see more and more news stories as people go through those 5,000 pages or so of documents. Uh, But in terms of hearings, I'm sure they'll be calling back lots of people and saying, wait a second, when you were here and testified, you told us this, but then here's this email that directly contradicts what you said. And there's already that kind of evidence with regard to, for example, Minister Bardish Chagger, um, the story that she told the committee versus what the documents that have been disclosed show. And... And I'm sure there'll be more uh, nuggets like that come out, and the committees will want to get back at it and recall a bunch of witnesses and say, what's going on here? And also call a bunch of other witnesses that haven't been called yet still to hear and get closer to the truth. And then there'll be a huge fight over, you know, lots of the, the documents are blacked out. They, uh, they have withheld the information claiming it's cabinet confidence. Well, I mean, that's Canadians justifiably suspect that what's being hidden actually is wrongdoing and further evidence of wrongdoing. And the Ethics Commissioner, the RCMP, uh, the Auditor General, the Procurement Ombudsman, they have to see all the documents. If the, if the Trudeau Cabinet hides behind Cabinet confidence, uh, then they're, they're just raising the suspicion quite justifiably that uh, they're hiding wrongdoing. There's no, you have to see the whole communication record to know and get to the truth of how this decision happened.
0: Duff, I want to thank you for joining us.
1: My pleasure.
0: Duff Connacher is one of the founders of Democracy Watch and studying his PhD in law at the University of Ottawa. Now, in the past, both Conservative and Liberal Prime Ministers have used the procedure to shut down Parliament, usually to shut down politically uncomfortable investigations. Charles Bird is the managing principal at Earnscliff Strategy Group, and he joins us now. And Charles, to the cynical proroguing Parliament, appears to show the government wants to, well, just shut down those committee investigations.
2: Um, Well, I think they've managed to put them off for a few weeks for all the good that will do them, but um, I think the overall uh, priority of the government is really to hit the reset button. I mean, it's a significant occurrence for any government to lose its finance minister, but it also constitutes an opportunity to chart a new way forward. And um, this is especially important now as we are hopefully beginning to turn the corner on the uh, more immediate impacts of the pandemic and focusing more on the agenda for economic recovery. And so I think what the government has done is um, recognize that a significant uh, change was needed. And so now we'll see obviously the prorogation of parliament, um, a fairly significant cabinet retreat, which will allow ministers to come together and, and think through the bigger picture, really not necessarily for the first time, but in a way that doesn't necessitate the tyranny of the immediate, which is to say dealing with getting checks out the door and building programs from scratch. And, um, when parliament returns, obviously the speech from the throne will be subject to a confidence vote. And that will be a significant test for opposition parties to determine whether they want to force an election now or, um, let things slip into 2021.
0: You know, you brought up uh, a change in the finance minister and there's been questions now about, uh, Christian Freeland's lack of financial background. Is that fair? no,
2: it's It's singularly unfair and all too typical and, and frankly a bit disappointing in uh, in the year twenty twenty. I mean, she's a remarkably accomplished person in terms of uh, her education, Harvard, Oxford, uh, in terms of the work she has done uh, prior to her time uh, in government, but especially while in government as Minister of Foreign Affairs. And um, in her more recent portfolio, where she had very direct responsibility for not only the relationship with with the United States, but also uh, with the provinces. And in terms of our economic recovery agenda, um, those are probably the two two of the most significant areas that that we'll, we'll really have to get right if economic recovery is going to go the way that we all hope it does. Um, because it, it's hopeless to think that the federal government will be able to do this on its own without the direct input and cooperation of the provinces. And that's an area where Canada has, has been singularly successful to date. I mean, apart from the shenanigans in the House of Commons and, and you know the, the positioning of federal opposition parties, um, the, the federal government and provinces and municipalities, for that matter, have really worked very effectively together and it's and, and have done so in a largely partisan free way. Um, and, and the numbers speak for themselves. I mean, we, we have been fortunate to be spared the nightmare that has befallen the United States where they have, you know, closing in on 200,000 deaths from COVID. Whereas we have uh, yet to break the t- the ten thousand mark, and, and just the sheer amount of economic and and social and societal dislocation we've seen there, that that just isn't the case in Canada. And so, uh, the hope is that we're very well positioned to to emerge from this, not necessarily stronger than ever. I think that will take some time, and and there may be some. Other shoes to drop. This virus is highly unpredictable and virulent, and obviously, with kids going back to school, um, there are a lot of parents, myself included, whose hearts are in their throat in terms of what that means going forward and what it means to the health and safety of our children. Um, But there's no doubt that that Canada is quite well positioned um, in terms of uh, doing the kinds of things that will we will need to do to be able to turn the corner and begin to emerge from sort of the the, the, the COVID-19 reality that we all face.
0: Do you think Bill Morneau might've stayed if uh, he wasn't uh, caught up a bit in the, in the we scandal? You know, that's,
2: that will, that will eternally, that'll be the eternal question, I yeah. suppose. Mm-hmm. Uh, my guess is that if he could do some things differently, um, he probably would have, I mean, he had a reasonably good record as minister of finance in terms of, you know, reforms to the Canada pension plan, um, and, uh, low, you know, uh, a significant tax cut for, for, uh, middle income Canadians. Um, you know, does he wish he had not taken that trip, uh, or the trips on, you know, that were paid for by we charity probably, does he wish that he had spent more time uh talking to his caucus mates and perhaps building up a little bit of support uh, likely um, but you know one one of the one of the criticisms that was leveled against uh Mr. morno perhaps unfairly but nonetheless was that he he lacked a certain political touch and that is and he's not necessarily alone in that obviously when um the federal liberals came to power in 2015. They went from, you know, a relative handful of seats. I mean, 19. They only won 19 seats in the, uh, um, or mm-hmm. rather, 34 seats in the uh, 19, um, uh, rather 2011 election. Uh, so, there, you know, most of the people that were elected in 2015 and most of the people who went into cabinet were brand new, and you know, very smart, very capable. Very well intentioned, but not a lot of political experience, and I think that's something that the federal liberals have dealt with um, for some time, and it's uh, it's a real challenge. And um, but there's no doubt that Minister Minister Freeland certainly has the the political chops, and and she's demonstrated that again and again and again. And you just look at. The reaction of uh, Ontario Premier Doug Ford to her appointment as Minister of Finance saying that, you know, just she'll do a terrific job and she's enormously capable. And, you know, and that there is an example of a relationship that Minister Freeland set out to cultivate and which will likely serve both the federal government and the government of Ontario very well going forward.
0: Charles Byrd joining us on the unpublished cafe, managing partner with the Ernst Clift Strategy Group, as we talk about proroguing parliaments and a new finance minister for the federal government. And how do you see Mark Carney fitting into all this now that he's back in Ottawa?
2: You know, interesting question, Ed. Um, there, there was obviously a lot of speculation and some downright excitement on the part of liberals at the prospect that. Mr. Carney could conceivably uh, join the government in a formal way, potentially be named minister of finance, um, potentially run in one of two ridings where there will be a by-election in the not too distant future, York centre and Toronto centre in in Toronto. Um, At the same time, there may have been a bit of a sense that it was all just, uh, it was all just happening too quickly. Um, And, That, you know, if if you took a step back, it it just wasn't going to happen. The fact that he's taken on an informal role uh, advising the prime minister, I think, is very significant. He's obviously enormously accomplished. I mean, his time at Goldman Sachs, his time as a senior assistant deputy minister. Uh, with the Department of Finance in Ottawa, and of course, you know, Governor of the Bank of Canada, Governor of the Bank of England. I mean, he's, he's almost a dream candidate in many respects. So I think we'll be hearing more from him in the not-too-distant future. And the other thing worth noting is that he and Minister Freeland are actually quite close. It was suggested to me recently that... Um, uh, Mr. Carney is actually godfather to one of minister Freeman's children. I don't know if that's true, but it it probably speaks to the fact that they will spend a lot of time talking about uh, events, shall we say?
0: Charles, I want to thank you for joining us.
2: Ed, it's been a pleasure.
0: Thank you. Charles Bird is managing principal at earnscliff Strategy Group, and this leads to our unpublished dot vote question: Should the act of proroguing Parliament be eliminated? Yes, no or unsure. You can log on and vote right now at unpublished.vote and have your voice heard. I want to thank Duff Conacher of Democracy Watch and Charles Bird of Earnscliff Strategy Group for joining us. And I want to thank you for listening to the Unpublished Cafe. Stay safe. I'm Ed Hand.